the letter fails, the systems fall, and every symbol wanes. The spirit overseeing all eternal love remains. I love those words by John Greenleaf Whittier, who lived just up the road here, you know. How his words remind us that things do change and end. Things do fall apart or fade away. But in the midst of the change and the loss, there is a love that is eternal, that abides with us always. And we are here to bask in the presence of that love. And then to share it and to be assured that it abides everywhere, forever to be renewed in our hope and faith that we can go back out there stronger and more joyful, ever singing March We Onward, as another hymn puts it. This month we're reflecting on home, and we need places, don't we? Places and communities that feel like home, that offer us renewal, and sustenance, not a place to hide from the world or from who we are called to be, but places of peace and joy and hospitality, like we just heard about in John O'Donohue's blessing. May this house shelter your life. When you come here, when you come home here, may the weight of the world fall from your shoulders. May your heart be tranquil here, blessed by a peace the world cannot give. May there be great delight around this hearth. May it be a house of welcome for the broken and diminished. I hope and trust that this church is such a home, a place of solace and peace, a place of generous welcome when you come across the threshold here. And if not, if there are ways that we have failed to live up to our aspiration to be a welcoming and caring faith community, then I hope you will tell us. Tell me or someone else here so we can do better. Because we do fail sometimes. We fail one another, we fail ourselves, and we need to acknowledge this, to confess our faults and make amends to those we have hurt or disappointed and seek forgiveness so we can grow, so we can do better. But I worry that we are not getting better at this in our society, that we're actually getting worse each of us could cite examples of public figures who, when they get caught doing something wrong, what do they do? They hire a publicist, and they make some kind of lame apology. I am sorry if anybody was offended, as if it's the people who was harmed responsibility. There's no effort at making amends, and the so-called apology 
is self-serving, just trying to help restore the offender's own image, which is quite different from taking responsibility for what you have done and actually feeling bad about it and trying to fix the harm that you've caused. And that's how you move on in a healthy and life-giving way. And this is hard. It feels vulnerable to give somebody else that power to effectively put your life in their hands when you say, I am sorry for what I did. Can you forgive me? We need help with this work of healing and reconciliation. We need places where this kind of trust and truth-telling is possible. And I hope that this church is part of that. Some years ago, I was in the car and I was listening to WBUR. They were having this conversation about the difference between British and American culture. Two nations, George Bernard Shaw reportedly said, divided by a common language. The show was this interesting back and forth between these observers of the culture, these two different cultures on different sides of the pond. And I wonder about this sometimes. Is America always on the move, it seems? Are we this way because our ancestors were people who left home to come here seeking a better life? And is Britain the home of tradition? Is it the way it is because its people are the ones who stayed home? Of course, it's not that simple. Britain has in recent years been shaped by waves of immigration, so much that people there now say that curry is the national dish. No longer bangers and mash or those other British foods. Anyway, On that radio show, one of the Brits said something that I've never forgotten. Talking about the differences between our two countries, he said, here in Britain, we have had to learn how to build on our ruins. You Americans haven't learned to do that yet, to build on our ruins. One summer during college, I went to England, and I was struck to see walking down the streets of London that there were still some bombed-out buildings left there from World War II. I visited Coventry Cathedral, which was built in the 14th and 15th centuries, which was almost completely destroyed by German bombs in 1940. But rather than bulldoze those ruins, church leaders decided to keep them just the way they were. The only thing they changed was they inscribed the words, Father, forgive, on the wall behind the altar. And they built a new cathedral adjacent to the ruined one. When I was a child, we learned in school about the American pioneer Daniel Boone, who would say that it was time to move when he could see the smoke from his neighbor's chimney. 
Our nation has always had ample amounts of land for people to expand into. And central to our narrative is this image of the far horizon always beckoning. You know that saying, when the tough gets going? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I wonder, though, how often does this mean, I can't take it anymore, so I am out of here. I am not against change or leaving one place in order to start something new, which can be life-giving and liberating and a way to follow your calling. What I am concerned about is leaving as avoidance, running away from the work that is right here, trying to run away from trouble. Because in the end, it doesn't work. Just outside our doors and down the hill, there are these large swaths of land that are now strip malls and parking lots, where once there were old homes and neighborhoods. The federal urban renewal projects of the 1970s bulldozed those old neighborhoods because they were in disrepair. And I wonder sometimes walking through this city, what if there had been a vision to preserve them rather than simply erase that part of Haverhill's history? It takes a lot of work, you know this, to care for an old home. Up above our heads, there's a 125-year-old slate roof And those slates are held on those steep inclines by 125-year-old nails. And those nails are starting to fail. In my early years here, I think I'd only been here a few months, one member who has since moved away, he said to me, when those nails start to go, it will be time for this church to give up and let go of this building, because you won't be able to afford to fix it. I didn't know you all very well yet, and I did not know what to say to him in that moment, and so I didn't say anything. It was really just a stunned silence. But what I'd wished I'd said, and what I would say to him now is this, like hell we will, We will find a way to stay right here, not because this building is a museum that we are trying to preserve, but because this is a home for healing and for liberation in this city. And this city needs us to be right here, strong and thriving and doing what we do. And when you take the long view, It can be better and even more cost-effective to renew and restore and repurpose what you have rather than to abandon it and move away and try to build a new home somewhere else. Of course, this image of building on our ruins is a metaphor. I'm talking more about our lives than about this building 
Some of you might be thinking, who are you calling a ruin? <laughs> Some of you know this congregation went through a tough time about 15 years ago. And some folks actually left because of that conflict. But a number of you stayed. And you hung in there and you rolled up your sleeves and you worked to make things better and healthier. And look at what you, look at what we have done. We have worked through our stuff and are stronger and wiser, and we have this new vitality because you have stayed and done the work and others have come and joined you in it. This is personal for me because some of you know my father was someone who had a habit of running away from trouble. And I saw the cost of that to him and to his family and friends to the people he harmed and never made amends to. It started with small things, with cutting corners, with thinking, nobody will notice. And it ended with larger betrayals that caused plenty of pain and suffering. That's why I chose Teddy Roosevelt's words about staying in the struggle, even when we fail and come up short. Because this is what it means to be a person of faith holding out hope for a better tomorrow, doing what you can while you are here, not trying to go it all alone, remembering we are connected to one another, that we are here to help others as we can and to get help from them when we need it. It makes me sad when I hear that someone is suffering and they're staying away from church because of that because they don't want to appear needy or broken or, God forbid, cry here in this sanctuary. That's why we are here. That's why we have these boxes of tissues all over the place. (laughs) To be a house for healing and for hope and, yes, for good tears. I am on my knees grateful for who you are and that you are here doing this life-saving work. It's not easy to bind up the broken and help people to be free. But it is why we are here. It's our work to do. So I send you out with part of John O'Donohue's blessing because it describes this home that we are building together. May this be a house of courage where healing and growth are loved, where dignity and forgiveness prevail, a house where patience of spirit is prized and the sight of the destination is never lost. Though the journey be difficult and slow, may there be great delight around this hearth. May it be a house of welcome for the broken and diminished. And may we have eyes to see that no one arrives without a gift and no one leaves without a blessing. Amen.